We're almost to the end. Uh, Today I finished reading through the Bible. I know this is dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyways. How many of you have finished reading through the Bible this year? Okay, I see that hand, some hands out there. It's how many of you expect to finish it by the end of the year? Good for you. Good. Great. Uh, it's, it's, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of work. You have to put your, your mind to it, but uh, it's well worth the effort. Um, how many of you have tried this year to read and reflect on a regular basis? And I won't define regular basis. Put your hands up. Great. That's fabulous. That, and frankly, that's the win. If you're doing that, that is absolutely the win in this series. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, we're going to talk tonight and, and uh, this weekend and, and next uh, weekend, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay out a blueprint for how the world is going to end. No, I'm not. Absolutely not going to do that. <laughs> Somebody's going, really? Cool. No, no, that ain't going to happen here. <laughs> but what I am going to do is we're going to focus on one passage because it's interesting if you uh, talk to Bible, you know, people who know the Bible, they say, well, where are the birth accounts of Jesus? And they'll say, well, Matthew and Luke. Mark doesn't have a, a birth account. And John basically starts when Jesus is like already in his midst. Uh-uh. John wrote Revelation, and actually he mentions the birth of the Messiah. We're going to look at that in just a minute. So it's very short, but it is, it is a mention of his birth. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the book of Revelation. Revelation is pretty much unlike many of the other books. Ezekiel might come close to it in the Old Testament, maybe Daniel. But uh, Revelation is, uh, John has really a lot of long and complicated, uh, he has a series of visions. There's only over 60 of these visions. And uh, uh, they often blend one into another they go back and forth. Some go and, and they start over. He picks out and explains details. He gives overviews. And he, what he's talking about are cosmic events that are going on. You know, um, this is a, uh, this, you know, as you read these visionary accounts of uh, reality, they were given to John to proclaim spiritual and theological truths. That's really why John was given these. Uh, the images, they're, they're foreign to us. We look at them and go, what? A dragon? You know, what, what is John talking about? What's interesting is in the, in the day that John wrote, and his readers, those who heard the message, would have understood many of the images that they're using. Many of the images would have been very vivid and very contemporary with John's audience. They're not to us, but they are to them. And that's what we have to always remember when we're reading the Bible. The, the writers are writing to a, an audience there. And so it doesn't always, uh, we don't always understand what it's all about. Uh, but many of the images are, are taken from the Old Testament. There's probably at least 350 allusions to the Old Testament. Uh, John's style is familiar with uh, his readers. We call it apocalyptic literature. And uh, it's a type of literature that's really symbolic. Um, there's vivid images that correspond to history and to theological re realities. In many ways, apocalyptic is uh, prophetic in nature, and we see that. So we're going to focus this weekend on uh, Revelation 12, 
And in, in Revelation 12, what John does is he pulls back the cosmic curtain. And we're able to see something that's going on behind something we can't see, but John sees it. And it's really interesting. He's going to give us a different view of the birth of Jesus. He's going to give us a very different view. So let's start uh, Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. And this is what John says to us tonight and what he said to his audience. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, John reveals three real important critical concepts about our redemption. The first one is, he says that there's this ongoing cosmic struggle. Now, we don't always see it. We see signs of it, but John is actually pulling, like I said, he's pulling the curtain back, and we're able to see almost behind the scenes that there's something spiritual, there's something cosmic going on. Notice what he says in verse 7. Jump down to verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle. He and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. So John gives this larger-than-life description, something that's very hard. And he's doing his best to communicate under the influence of the Holy Spirit to tell us and to show us that uh, there is something that's going on here that it's important for us to understand. Now, we read the first verse, and it said a woman was clothed. You Look at the image he's using here. A woman was clothed, was clothed with a sun. The moon was beneath her feet, a crown of 12 stars. There was a large red dragon with seven heads and ten, ten horns. A third of the stars are swept out of the sky by, by his tail. So uh, notice there, there was war in heaven between Michael, who is an archangel, and, and, the, and the dragon. And, and, Michael, and the archangel, Michael the archangel and his angels win the war, and Satan is cast out of heaven, and he's, uh, brought, he's cast down to, to the earth. Now, this cosmic battle was, has been taking place for a long time. We find that out in Scripture. It's been going on probably before the time of Adam and Eve in the garden. It was, it was going on. And it probably, uh, it, it's a battle between good and evil. It's a battle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And I believe this very, and I think this is what John's essentially saying to us this weekend. He's saying behind every human relationship struggle you have, there's a spiritual battle going on. You don't, maybe you don't realize it, but this week, whether you are aware of it or not, there is a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And, and, and it's, it's directed at you. And we'll see that in just a minute. Uh, Daniel is a very interesting book. And I just want to jump there for a minute. I'll give you the context because it's very interesting what's going on. And it shows this principle. In, in So Daniel is reading through the Old Testament books. And he's understanding that the, the captivity of the nation of Israel is supposed to be only 70 years. So he's praying to God. God, we're coming to the end of the years. Would you please bring your people out of captivity back into the promised land? So he's praying this prayer. He's, he's actually praying this prayer. And this is, this is what happens. Notice what happens. Daniel 9, verse 20. Daniel said, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. 
And as I was praying, Gabriel, uh, he's an archangel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. Okay, so Daniel's praying and Gabriel comes, right? That's what we've read so far, right? Nod your head. That's what we read, right? Okay. Now, notice what he says here. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. What about the 70 weeks or the 70 years of captivity? Daniel prayed, God, reveal this to me. And he says, Gabriel says, I've come to reveal that to you. And this is what he says. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I'm here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to, the, uh, to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Now, what you, if you go on and read through that, Gabriel tells him that he was held up for months because of a spiritual battle that was going on that prevented him. You know, it wasn't like Daniel prayed and God said, go tell Daniel. He got, Daniel prayed. God says, go tell Daniel. And then there was a spiritual battle that he was withheld for months before he could come and bring this. And it just goes to show you, folks, there's a spiritual battle going on. When you offer up prayers and you're praying for people that you love and they're not going in a good direction, their lives are going bad, and sometimes you say, well, God, you don't answer our prayer. He may be answering your prayer, but you understand there's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And they directly affect what we see in this world. Paul tells us very simply the same thing. He says the same thing. Paul says you are in the mid, whether you know it or not, you are in the middle of a cosmic spiritual battle right now. And he says this, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Notice what he says. He says this towards the end of this book of Ephesians. And he says a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. What is Paul saying? Essentially the same thing that John is saying. Essentially the same thing that Daniel experienced. That behind this physical world is a spiritual cosmic world and there's a battle going on and they affect one another. And you have to understand that Paul basically says you better put on your armor. Because whether you're aware of it or not, you're in a battle. And I just want to say to you, many of the struggles that you're having right now is because there's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. And the enemy wants you to be discouraged and on the sidelines. Now, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. Has somebody really recently hurt you or done something that hurt your feelings or, or mistreated you? You feel like you've been mistreated? I mean, you, you know, probably don't have to think back too long before somebody has done that. Here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to take offense. The enemy wants you to make it worse than it really is. The enemy wants to skew the facts in your favor. The enemy wants you to get a posse. So that you can tell other people how badly you've been treated and point out who this person is that's mistreated you. The enemy wants you to deny forgiveness. The enemy generally wants you to amp things up. Basically, what the enemy wants you to do is he wants to put you on the sidelines. He wants you to become bitter. He wants you to become angry. He wants you to seek revenge. And every time you fall for that, you're not seeing there's spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. 
Yes, they did something. They said something. They offended you. They hurt you. Understandable. And, and we get that. And should they apologize? Yeah, will they? I don't know. But understand this. Behind the scenes, there's a cosmic battle. And the enemy says, good, now I've got a chance to get you discouraged, to get you out of the game, and to put you on the sidelines. And we fall for, I don't know about you, I've fallen for that, that trick too many times. See, anything the enemy can do to get you disengaged with the hard work of reconciliation and to get you to walk away. From, I've had people say, I'm offended. I, I'm not coming to Hope Church anymore. I'm angry with the church. And who are you angry with? Well, I'm angry with you or I'm angry with this person. Okay, let's talk. about. It. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, there it is. There's another one. The enemy's won. You're on the sideline. Exactly what he wants. Listen, I know it's easy to do. Let me give you another one. So I'm trying to show you how the enemy works. The enemy wants you to say, I am not going to overlook this offense. I'm going to make it a deal breaker. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to be offended. I'm never going to forgive. I'm going to, I'm going to dig my heels down. And you know, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to, be, to, to do that. Here's another one. Are you more and more vulnerable to temptation? You know, the enemy, what he'll do is, he knows what your weakness is. He knows what it is. Are you more and more vulnerable to weakness? The enemy knows your weakness, and they love to play. Did you notice the enemy plays both sides of the fence? One minute, the enemy's saying, go ahead and do it. You're only going to do it this once. It's not a big deal. You're not going to go kill somebody. Maybe you are. I don't know. <laughs> but... If you are, that's, you, ought, that, you ought to know that's probably not a good idea. But, uh, but the enemy will say, listen, go ahead and do it. Just give it a little bit. Do something for yourself. You know, you, you, know, you won't do this again. This is not who you are. And then you do it. What does the enemy do? Say, you say you're a Christian. Are you kidding me? You think God will forgive you for that? Why in the world do you, do you behave like this? You, you are such a hypocrite. Oh, and he plays both sides. Have you noticed that? That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to divide us. He wants to drive you away from Christian community. He wants you to tempt you to fall into sin. If they can find a way to get you out of the game and uh, and onto the sidelines, they will. And I just want to ask you a question. Have you been sitting on the sidelines this year? Have you fallen for this by the enemy? Have you allowed him to play games with you so that you said, I'll never forgive that person. They, you don't know how they've hurt me. And I'm just saying, I don't. But I know you're sitting on the sidelines and we need you in the game. You know, I, I think that's what we have to see. And what John is saying, he's pulling the curtain aside. He's saying, would you please see that there's a spiritual battle going on? You can't see it, and it, it, it shows up. The next time that you feel like you're going to dig your heels in, you're going to have your way, you know, all that stuff, just remember there's a spiritual battle going on. See it. Here's the second thing. There's a decisive death blow that was delivered. Notice verse 3 and 4. John says this, Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky and threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Notice verse 5. She gave birth to a son, 
who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her 1,260 days. This is John's birth narrative. (laughs) It's pretty short. But he's showing you something very different. It's not so picturesque, is it? He's pulling back a cosmic curtain and he's showing you that there is a spiritual cosmic struggle there was in Bethlehem that day that took place at the birth of Jesus' first advent or his first coming. Notice how brief the account is. The woman gives birth to a son who is snatched away from the dragon just in time and caught up to God and his throne. That's the whole life of Jesus in one sentence. I mean, that's it. He was born. The, 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 the serpent uh, tried to, uh, to kill him, destroy him, and he was caught up to heaven. That's the birth narrative. That's the life of Jesus. All of it is right there. And John's point is, that's not what he's really wanting to focus on. He's not focusing on the birth, but he's showing you that at the birth. I mean, I, I don't know if you saw that last statement. Here, here, here's the picture that you might want to have at the birth of Jesus. John pulls the curtain aside and he says, here's what happened at the birth. The dragon, or the enemy, the devil, stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby. Picture that. A woman ready to give birth, and the monster is waiting to devour her baby. John says, this is the kind of battle that we're talking about. John is doing this to make one crucial point. The fatal event in the war was accomplished by Jesus and the dragon. Satan wasn't able to stop him. Now, this was predicted way back in Genesis chapter 3. And and let me read you that verse. This is what God said to the woman, Eve. He said, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And the head blow is the death blow. And basically what God is saying very early on is that Satan, you will be defeated. Now, through the life of Jesus, many times Jesus, uh, Satan tried to defeat uh, uh, Jesus. For instance, we know very early on in the birth narrative that Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt. Why? Because Herod, who was being used by these cosmic powers to destroy the Messiah baby, and they got away. In Luke chapter 4, Satan took Jesus out in the wilderness and he says to Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just give up on this salvation mission. In John 8, the people got so angry, they began to pick up stones to try to stone Jesus to death. Even Peter, as we saw, you know, Peter at one point, Jesus says, well, who do people say that I am? Now, this is an example. This is a great example about how in one moment you could be used of God and the the spiritual battle, how it can affect us in in just a flip of a moment. At one moment, uh, Jesus says, who do people say that are? Some say you're John. Some say you're one of the prophets. And, And Jesus says, well, who do you, disciples, say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, 
flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, you are speaking the very words of God. And then it says that Jesus went on to tell how he must suffer and die. And Peter came next to him. I don't think much more than half an hour took place, probably less than that. And and Peter said, over my... He doesn't use this phrase, but essentially what he says is it's not going to happen. But he essentially says, over my dead body, will I allow that to happen? And Jesus turns to him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Was he saying Peter was Satan? No. But what he's saying is, Peter, you're being used by Satan. Speaking the words of Satan now. One moment you were speaking the words of God. The next moment you're speaking the words. This can turn on a dime, folks. And this is the spiritual battle that we all are struggling with. That Paul talks about. He says, put on the armor because one moment you begin speaking the words of God. The next moment you could be speaking the very words of Satan. This is not... The, the thing you have to understand is John is pulling a curtain back and he's saying something. He's saying the Christmas portrait that we often have is this postcard setting. It's quiet. It's tranquil. Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus, some shepherds, some cute little animals, peaceful, tranquil. But John will have none of this. John pulls back the cosmic curtains and he says there's an all-out demonic effort and an enemy that is out to destroy the Messiah baby, the, the Savior, the Lamb. And and, and look at what John is saying. He's saying the devil stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. That's not tranquil. That's war. I wonder how many people on that first night were aware of that cosmic battle that was going on. John shows us something that's very important for us to see. That there is a satanic rage going on right now it was there at the birth and it's still there now and the the satan cannot get to jesus he's already been defeated but you know who he can get to us and there is a rage that was unleashed that day against the lamb of god and against the messiah and i just want to ask you are you aware of that battle today here's the third thing we'll close with this There's a continual tension between the already and not yet. Uh, Notice what he says in verse 17. He says, The dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony. Now, we know that the dragon... uh, is Satan because it's pointed out. And, and the picture of the dragon in the Bible is usually referring to Satan. But the question is, who's the woman? And a lot of scholars say, well, of course it's Mary. And I think that's where we've got to be very careful with the symbolism. The symbolism is much richer than just saying, this symbol means this person, and this symbol means this. And it's much more deep than that. You see, the woman is symbolically Eve. It's symbolically the 12 tribes of Israel. It's symbolically uh, because Jesus was of the lineage. It's symbolically Mary, but it's symbolically of all the faithful followers that have come and are following Christ. It's all the children of the woman. Uh, It's the church. Notice what he says here. Let me read verse 17 again. The dragon was angry with the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep the commandments and maintain their testimony. So it's not just the woman, it's her descendants, it's the church, it was Israel, it was the faithful followers of God. 
The spiritual battle continues. Essentially, what's going on here is the enemy has declared war against anyone who desires to be a faithful follower of Jesus. The minute you step across that line of faith, war has been declared against you. And there is a satanic rage that wants to destroy you, that wants to put you on the sideline, that wants you to be ineffective, that wants you to live a life that's discouraged without hope, that wants you to live a life that's selfish, that wants you to spend everything that you have on yourself. That, that's what they want. He just basically, he wants you to be totally ineffective for the kingdom of God. That's what he wants. He wants to destroy the faithful followers of Jesus. He'll take you, he wants to take you out of the game any way he can, and he does not play fair. Now, you may ask this question well, wait a minute. Didn't you say that Jesus on the cross struck the death blow? Of Satan. Satan was defeated on the cross. Absolutely, he was. The death blow was given on the cross. Then, how in the world can we possibly still be in this cosmic battle? The answer is, lies in a phrase that theologians have used for many years, and it's called already but not yet. And what they mean there is there's a tension in the scriptures that Bibles, the Bible says that the victory is already won. But the consummation hasn't taken place yet. You know, in many battles, sometimes there's this key, significant, strategic battle that turns everything around. But then after that, there are battles that need to be fought before the war is over. That is where we're at. But here's the problem. There's still a satanic rage that's going on because the enemy basically says, well, I can't, I know I'm defeated, but I can still do as much damage as possible on his followers. See, we're looking for that final victory. We're looking for the consummation when everything will be right. And here's the problem. We're, at, we're between his first coming, which John mentioned very quickly. He was born, he was, you know, was attacked, and he was caught up to heaven. I mean, that was it. And that's his first coming, or we call it the first advent of Christ. But there's going to be a second coming where Jesus is going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to set everything right. He's going to be the judge. And, and that hasn't come yet. We are looking for the second coming of Jesus. Now, by the way, next weekend we'll look at the second coming of Jesus and what that means. But now, for now, we're living in that in-between time between the first coming of Christ where the death blow was struck and the second coming when the consummation takes place. And the enemy is raging against God, and, and who does he take his rage out on? You and me. In other words, what we're going to have is conflict and cosmic war. But here's the thing. We have won the victory. And, and that's where I want to close. I just have just a few minutes. I want to say, how do we overcome in the midst of this cosmic battle where there's this rage of Satan going on against anyone who will follow Jesus? And by the way, like I said, he, he's just as happy to put you on the sidelines. Some of you are on the sidelines because you just say, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And on your own, you can't. But he gives us the answer here. He tells us the answer. Notice verse 10 through 12. Then I heard a loud shout, 
a, a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation in the power of the kingdom of our God and, 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 and the authority of Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night, thrown down to earth. And they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, satanic rage, knowing he has little time. He knows he has little time before he's cast away and destroyed forever, so he's going to do as much damage as we can as he can. And now we are his the object of, of the wrath. I mean that's that's where we're at, folks. Well, how do we how do we survive knowing that? Number one, you plead the blood of the Lamb. How do you overcome when the accuser, the enemy, comes to you to condemn you? The enemy wants to put you down. He wants to accuse you. He wants to blame you. He wants to tell you how you're worthless. He wants to tell you that you're no good. He wants to just get you on the sidelines, get you discouraged, get you down. And you plead the blood of the Lamb. You say, you're right. You're absolutely right. But the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb tells me two things. Number one, I'm so loved by Him that He gave His life and He bled for me. He died for me. I was a sinner, and he died for me, so my sins are no more. He said, it is finished. I plead the blood of the Lamb, but I also plead the blood of the Lamb, knowing that I'm his child, that he willingly and gave his life for me, and he loves me so much, and I stand on the blood of the Lamb. See, we have no power other than the blood of the Lamb on our behalf. Here's the second thing. Bear witness to the gospel. Bear witness to the gospel. Notice he says their word of testimony. We are here to propagate the gospel. Peter, when ordered to stop preaching, remember they pulled him aside, the religious leaders, and they said, okay, you need to stop this, this, this monkey business right now. Just stop it. And, and, and at one point, Peter says to them, he says, whether we should listen to God or to you, we choose God. We're not stopping there are other people out in the world today who need to be set free. And God has chosen us to be the proclaimers of the good news. We are under, there are people who are under bond, the bondage of sin and death. And they're still under the power of the devil. And God, for some unknown reason, I don't know why, chooses to use us to help set people free. And if you've ever been used by somebody to bring them across the line and to help them, and, and you've heard about this person you've been praying for, you've been working, you've been asking God, pleading with God to bring them to faith, and they come to faith, and they're set free. You go, it can't get any better than that. Here's the third thing. Be willing to die for him. It says they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Now remember what John is doing here. He is writing his whole letter to Christians who are under severe persecution in Rome. They are being so persecuted. And he tells them, there is no fear in death. They found hope beyond the grave because Jesus had conquered sin and death and Satan. No matter whatever they could do here on earth, they could not take their eternal life away. No matter what they do to you here and now, 
in this cosmic spiritual battle, we will reign with Christ as the victor in heaven forever. That's why Paul could look at death and say, death, where's your sting? Come on, you got more than that? What's the worst that's going to happen? You, I die, and I'm going to be with Jesus. That's okay. Here's our problem. We've allowed the enemy to tell us, this is all there is. This is the best you're going to get. Don't fall for that lie. That was John's message to them who were under tremendous persecution, a message of hope and victory, but a message for us to be alert and be engaged. Folks, we're in a cosmic spiritual battle, and there is a satanic rage that is directed towards us. If you love Jesus, you are going to get attacked. And I just want to ask you, if you're on the sidelines, when are you going to get back into the game? We need you. We need you. Sure, you've been hurt. Sure, people have said and done things that have been hurtful. But are you going to allow that to take you out of the game? Are you going to allow that for you to live without joy, without the hope? I'm your own, alone. Or are you going to jump into the game and say, no, 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 no. I'm back into the game. I get it. There's a battle going on. Would you do this? Would you try to open up your eyes so that you can see the battle behind the battle because there is one? May God help us to see beyond what we can see with our eyes. That's what John has given us this weekend. Look beyond your eyes and you will see a spiritual cosmic battle and a satanic rage that wants to destroy you. and wants to discourage you. And when you see that, then look to the blood of Christ and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We win. I don't have to live down. I don't have to live discouraged. I don't have to live without joy and without hope. I can have that because Christ is risen and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's John's message to them who are under persecution. It's his message to us who are still on the battlefield. May God help us to be good warriors for Jesus Christ in the spiritual cosmic battle against an enemy that is satanic and angry. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Help us, Father, because this is a, this is a lot, and maybe for some it's, it's new, and it's a, a, tr- a real challenge. But, Father, we know that even now in this room there's a spiritual, satanic, cosmic battle going on. Thank you for John that he's able to pull the veil aside so that, and the curtain aside so that we could see. We could see. And Father, thank you for Jesus who has won the victory. May we walk in that victory with our heads up because of the blood of the Lamb. May that be our, our sounding cry, our war cry, because of the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. We give you all praise and honor and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.